This is episode 167. When we talk about dogs and wildlife, it is usually in the context of wildlife disturbances, where inconsiderate pet owners making their dogs chase birds on the beach or, you know, some other stuff. Or it is in terms of game dogs or gun dogs um, that are maybe not so much used to pursue the game, but to point and flush and fetch, um, and generally using it in hunting scenarios. Today, however, we are going to talk about using dogs in conservation projects. Our guest is Dr. Caroline Finley, who is the founder of Conservation Detection Dogs Northern Ireland. And by listening to this episode, you will learn how you can use dogs and their fantastic sense of smell in conservation for detecting bird nests or detecting birds in the nests, also detecting bats, doing wind turbine surveys and whole host of other um, uses in conservation projects. The work those dogs do is kind of like a mixture of skills used by explosive or drug detection dogs that are working on the on the airports and uh, gun dogs um, that are um, you know covering the landscape in pursuit of a game. So the skill set is kind of like in between and Caroline shares with us some interesting stories about specific dogs, their history and how they were undergoing career change. So if you're in a, into conservation projects or maybe you're a dog person, you will surely enjoy this episode of the podcast. And just a quick reminder, if you enjoy this podcast and want to support my work, you can always do so by buying me a coffee on buymeacoffee.com slash Outdoors. The link is in the description of the show. And in general, go in there, do the description of the show and explore the links and the resources that are linked there, especially the link to my newsletter. And now, without any further delay, Caroline Finley and Conservation Detection Dogs, Northern Ireland. Caroline, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, great. Great to have you on the show. Uh, I was delighted to meet you at the Breeding Waders Conference. You know, the first time I heard about conservation detection dogs was, I was talking with your colleagues, Stu Berhop and uh, Kendrick Calhoun. I think mm -hmm. we were talking about the bird survey. And they were saying, oh, you know, there's these detection dogs and you should, you should talk about it. I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And then... On the conference, you were there, and it turns out that you were a founder of Conservation Detection Dogs Northern Ireland. Please tell me how it all started, how it came to be. Yeah, so, oh, it's going back now a good few years. Um, so I worked in conservation for a while now. Um, I did my PhD, um, I think it was five or six years ago. Um, I finished that, and then I was doing... A couple of different projects, a couple of um, charities I was working in. And then I was working in Ulster Wildlife here in Northern Ireland. And there was, we were working on a project on red squirrels. And there was a amazing person over in England who had a German Shepherd mix that was 
trained to find dead or sick red squirrels during squirrel pox outbreaks. And I was like, oh, that is brilliant. We need that over here because we had like massive squirrel pox outbreaks at that time. And I was like, right, we need to get that over there. I happened to have a Springer Spaniel at that point. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I could get him trained. Um, and we ended up getting a bit of funding to bring over um, this great group of people who were actually like explo experts and pyro detection dog experts. So they came over and helped us train. Um, a couple of our volunteers and myself, and we got Rufus trained. And that's kind of where it started. Um, so we were doing some red squirrel detection when I had my one dog. And then it's grown massively since then. And I think that's when I realized, oh, here, more people need this. Like, this is so useful to have, like a dog with um, loads of different projects. It's so handy to have. And yeah, it's just grown massively since then. Excellent. I'm very happy to hear that. So the entrepreneurial uh, part of your, you say, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, just going to do this thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's excellent. It's excellent. Tell me, so what type of what type of work your dogs are doing? So we do a range of stuff. So I was the the dog handler on that um, seabird project with Kendry, mm. um, Kendry Colhoun back in the day. So we do some seabird detection. Um, unfortunately, because of avian flu, we haven't ha managed to get the dogs back on the island since twenty twenty one. But fingers crossed for next year. Um, we do a lot of wind farm surveys. So that's getting the dogs to look for um, bat and bird carcasses under wind turbines. And that's just to measure the effect of the turbines and if mitigation needs to be put in. Uh, we do, we're doing curlew nest detection. That's our um, big project that is kicking off massively in the next year, in the next breeding season. And then we do, I'm going to keep going, uh, we do some moss detection. So moss. One of, moss, yeah, it's we're one of the only two dog teams in the world that look for a moss species, random, or look for a bryophyte. Um, we do that, and we do the red squirrel stuff still. That's the red squirrel stuff is still voluntary based, so I do that for any of the red squirrel groups that come and ask. Um, yeah, we we do other things. What else do we do? We do a lot of stuff, but anything conservation-based where they think a dog could be useful, we are there. Instead of asking that question at the end of the podcast, I'm going to add it now. Like, if anyone listens to that, is it like, wow, I would I would like to, you know, have these teams of, with the dogs doing stuff. How to get in touch with you and what they need to do. Is, is there any criteria that they need to meet in, in order for you to work with them? So I'll talk through all everything that could possibly be asked on a project whenever they get in contact with me. So the best way to get in contact is go through our website, which is cddni.com, which stands for Conservation Detection Dogs Northern Ireland. Um, we're also on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. You're very welcome to get in touch with me there um, and on LinkedIn as well. And yeah, get in touch. I usually ask a couple of questions to make sure that a dog is right for the project. I'm kind of against dogs being used just for PR exercises. Because there's so much work that goes into getting the dog trained and getting the dog perfect for a project. I want it to be actually useful and to give a real benefit to the project. Even though the PR is useful and is a benefit, but I really want the dog to shine, you know, in a way. <laughs> Not just for the media. <laughs> uh, exactly. I was looking at your Instagram page and I was like, oh, that's a, that's a, a PR is easy. You just taking pictures of the dogs everybody oh, loves pictures of the dogs <laughs> oh yeah how many dogs do you have in total so there's i've got four <laughs> but 
four now. So it's since um so Rufus was my first dog. So in twenty twenty one when I went like full time during doing this, he was my my only dog. And then since then I now have four more. Um and within the team we have five dogs. So I have another handler working with me now, Patrice, and she's got a Springer Spaniel as well. So um yeah, the team the team has grown quite a bit quite quickly. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm curious of the aspect of the training of dogs. Like how how long it takes to train the dog and is that training kind of like ongoing or is it like a special for the project or whether the dog is trained once and then it knows his stuff how does that work so it takes it depends on the dog put it that way so it can take anywhere from about six months to a year to train a dog to where i'm happy for it to go operational to be put onto a project and um, what we do is we train all our dogs on um calm odor first so that's, you know, the red Kongs that you would give your dog, like, eat food out of sometimes and play with. Um, we cut that, that up really, really tiny. And that's the first odor that the dogs are put on to. Because we're just not, we're not sure what project's going to suit that dog to start off with. And most of the odors that we're working with are licensed. So you can't just, you know, be like, right, I'll just take a bat here out into, you know, out into the countryside and do some practice with this dog that's not trained yet you kind of want to get yourself you know 100% before that happens um and really it depends on the dog what project I put it on as well so certain dogs that I have here so for example the Curlew project I'm actually using Zeba for so she's a German short-haired pointer um and it means that if any birds flush in front of her or are moving in the undergrowth in front of her her kind of instinct is to point rather than some of the spaniels have an instinct to flush the bird more or to, to not chase but to, to run in a little bit um all the dogs are trained not to chase wildlife but you know if something jumps up in front of your face it's good to have the pointing instinct you know just built in there just for extra protection but yeah and then whenever we decide which odor the dogs go on to or whatever project they're going to go on to they get specialist training for that project um, so, for example, the seabird project, we had the tree and it was Rufus I used for it. And we had the tree and him to look down burrows because most of the work he had done beforehand was all um, all surface level on the ground. So we had to be trained to look on down burrows and then he had to be trained to get on a boat and like get off and on piers and like things like that, which is um, a bit strange for him because that was his first experience of that. So. Yeah, there's some specialist training goes in as well, certain projects. And how did you get into, into you know, training dogs? Was that something that you were always training your dogs for? Okay, so you yeah, are just I a know. dog person. I'm a dog are... person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my parent, like, I used to, whenever I was away, I used to volunteer at a rehoming shelter near my parents' house. And, like, I used to bring home waifs and strays, you know, and <laughs> be like, this one, this one could stay. And they were like, no, Caroline, please stop them home. <laughs> Stop bringing home puppies into the house, you know. <laughs> that was legit. Oh, gotcha. So, in other words, you 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 had already those skills bit built in how to train the dogs, and now you were training. I was some time ago visiting my friend, and he lives on the Ivory Peninsula in in Cahar Daniel, I think. And he's training dogs and the sheep dogs, but she all he also has like a, this training dogs to behave around livestock. So I presume that is. You know, while some people may bring the dog to be trained to behave around the livestock, for your dogs, it's just a basic, like, a, it's a baseline thing, right? It's, yeah. It's, you, you, you need to make sure it's, it's not happening. You're not going to chase sheep yeah. or something. 
100%. So we look for dogs that toys are so exciting and so like the most amazing things in the world that a sheep could, a whole herd of sheep could walk past, but they're so like into getting their toy that they're not even going to notice. They're like, no, I know if I, if I do that, I will, you know, I don't get my toy. I don't get to play with it. I don't get all the great stuff that I usually get if I do my work for my toy. And then we also look for dogs that really enjoy searching. Like it's like built in, like that kind of detection is like the best game in itself. So chasing and like annoying livestock and stuff is not, you know, it's not their forefront. It's not what they're, what, you know, the game is for. So now we do have specific traits that we look for in this kind of. So how do you select, how do you select the dogs for, for that? Are they already grown up dogs or you're starting from a puppy? So with Rufus, I already had him. He was a rescue um, that we got. So he just happened to be perfect. That was a fluke. It was luck. Um, not every dog is perfect for this. We just happened to have one in the house that was ready to go. Um, so we do a couple of assessments whenever we um, are thinking of taking on a new dog. Uh, sorry, that is the dog's barking at the minute. <laughs> yeah, excellent. excellent. These are sound effects for yeah. the podcast. That's actually, I, I just want to say that's my parents' dog. He is not suitable for this. <laughs> I would not select him for this work. Probably, um, probably listeners won't know by the bark of the dog. Uh, <laughs> we can pretend, we think we can pretend. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. um, so yeah, we do a couple of assessments with the dogs that kind of work out what really drives them to start off with. So we want them to be able to look for a toy for a couple of minutes without looking for help pretty much without giving up and being like, ah, I don't find it. I'm just going to give up and go do something else. That's pretty much one of our big first assessments. Um, I've only ever trained one dog from a puppy, and that was um, my second spaniel, uh, Monty. And the only reason, to be honest, I'm big into rehoming and rescuing dogs, but during COVID, it was impossible to get a dog <laughs> through a rescue. So that's the that's really why we ended up getting a puppy. The other dogs we have, Zeba, she was a career change dog, so she was working in explosives, um, explosive detection, but she just wasn't. 100% suitable for it. She had like some anxiety issues and not great for explosives, if you can imagine, like working in busy airports or like ports and things. Whereas working out in the like the wilds with us is much, much better for her. Um, yeah. And then Jasper, he's um, our latest uh, spaniel um, and he um, came from a hoarding situation. So, um, He's got a couple of issues where we're trying to work through some of his, like, environmentally, he's not sound, so he's getting used to the world. <laughs> he never really got to see the world because he was locked in a kennel for such a long time. Um, but he's he's massively better now. He actually, hopefully, hopefully he'll be operational uh, at the start of the new year. That's the that's the plan. Um, but yeah, all of them have major toy drives. Like, if you get a ball out, that's all they look at, all they want to... All they want to do is get that ball, you know, and play with it. So, yeah, and you know, like that was part that was fascinating to me. That usually when you talk about dogs in in in, in conservation, you talk about dogs in the context of wildlife disturbances. Yeah, there you get there you have it. You have a dogs were actually trained to operate, like you said, in this environment and not cause too much disturbances. You know, I was talking with my friend, and he said, like, whoa. 
that surely, you know, all those birds are terrorized by the dogs sniffing around their burrow or around their, their nest. And then I go like, well, they're probably less terrorized than just, like, you know, like a two bipedal apes walking around. But that was just my pure instinct. So it, could you elaborate on, on that? Like, are the bird not terrorized, birds not terrorized by the dogs around their nest? So for the seabird work especially, we actually kind of concluded that the dog was less disturbance than people doing the surveys. So for so we were looking for Manx shearwater burrows, active Manx shearwater burrows, and they were nesting down these burrows. Um, and during the day, the birds are pretty much asleep down the burrow. Um, and we were getting the dogs on a line, on a five-meter line, to go round the burrows and tell us pretty much which ones had birds in them and which ones didn't. The great thing is that the dogs weigh a lot less than us. <laughs> so... They were never going through the roof of the burrow um, where we were sometimes because you, if you're walking along across them, you can't really see them. They're like rabbit burrows and you do go through them sometimes. And then um, we were using playback um, studies to try and work out. This is how they usually work out which burrows have Manx shearwater actually nesting in them. And what you do is you shove a speaker down the burrow, play a call, of the bird and the bird inside the burrow wakes up and shouts back pretty much being like excuse me i know i think you'll find that this burrow is occupied could you <laughs> could you leave go on to your next burrow type thing so um we actually found the dogs don't need to go down the burrow they can smell from the en entrance if there's birds in it they don't need to wake the bird in any way the only reason we did for part of the project was to make sure the dog was right and then, you know, yeah, they're, they weigh less, so they're not going through the tops of the burrows at all, where when we're wandering about shoving speakers in, we were. So, yeah, I actually think in that project particularly, we were less, causing less disturbance having a dog. It's probably the same as in a, in a curlew project that's coming up. The interesting thing about the curlew project is that people are very worried about using the dogs to find curlew nests. But first of all, we tell them, well, first of all, these dogs are trained to find explosives and not blow them up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry. Or to find mines and not blow them up. So don't worry about the eggs. They're perfectly safe. And also um, they're trained that, um, well, the curlew especially, they have like sheepdogs coming in all the time, moving livestock in that area. So, um, oh, I do apologize. The pointer has decided she wants to be on screen. Um, so they're actually used to dogs going through their area working. So it's not as if they're not used to dogs at all. Might just put her in the kitchen two seconds. Okay, no problem. Come on, you. There we go. Because she'll be trying to get on my knee for the rest of it. She's too big. She doesn't realize how big she is. And she'll be <laughs> trying to get on my knee for the rest of it. She's ridiculous. So. <laughs> okay, gotcha. How long it takes to train the dog for for? You know, first, like, initial training, so you can say, like, yeah, that's a good dog, you know, good to go, and then for the specific project. So we would train usually about six months for the initial training, and that's a train, like, the indication that we want, so the behavior we, we want them to display whenever they find the odor. Um, and that's usually about six months. Jasper's taking slightly longer because he had these issues of just not knowing how to be a dog. <laughs> we gave him like six months just to work out how to be a dog and like 
go for walks and like you know meet new people <laughs> you know things like that so he's taking a bit longer he's going to take about a year I think to get that initial training done and then whenever we're, the dogs are put on to a project depending on the project it can take anything from a couple of weeks to train them on that new odor and on the new skills that they need for the project to maybe a month or two really depending on that odor so okay so it's not like a super prolonged process then to keep them in that project specifically that I was talking about about the seabirds where they be where they able to detect the species of birds like what what's the spe- how does like this is something that i just i just cannot wrap my head around like how dog indicates what species of birds is like you know and like number one how would you even train for that and then like whether he's like wagging his tail left to right if it's a one species and top down if it's other species like how would the, could you walk us through like how this really works how it's possible yeah so for our project we were only interested in manx water we only wanted the dogs to show us manx water that was the aim so what we did is we made them discriminate against other do- other bird species. So they would only indicate on the bird species we wanted. So whenever they came across a burrow, they were like, yep, that's a Manx Shearwater, I'll indicate. If it was any other bird species, we told them, do not indicate, don't tell us. Now, that's one way to do it. There is some really, really interesting stuff happening in Sweden at the minute where they've got the dogs to tell them what odor the dog is actually tracking. So they're doing um, lynx, wolf, and bear. And whenever the dog is on the track, the dog um, they make the dog wait and get the dog to show them which um, odor they're actually tracking at that time. They say what predator is in the area type thing. So it is possible for the dog to, t- to specifically tell you, oh, down that burrow is puffin, down this burrow is Manx water, but um, we haven't done it. But here it sounds like it might be a good crack. So maybe well, in the future. And how the dog indicates? Like one bark, two barks? Like how is it? No, so we train a passive indication. So for my dogs, I like um, a sit down and stare. So they'll, for example, at the burrows, they will sit and stare down the burrow. And then for the pointer, she literally points at whatever it is that she's found. <laughs> so she just does a freeze. And the nose is pointing at the odor, um, which will be good for the curlew nest. I, as soon as she hits the, the odor of curlew nest, I don't want her to move. So that she is she is a statue as soon as she comes across it. So it's type of like dog sits, dog lies down or whatever. And, and that noise. way it, it can it can tell it. Wow, this is this is really this is really fascinating. Could you give so okay, so other questions like you mentioned that people in Sweden doing something like that is is that is using dogs for conservation like a discipline, let's say, that is growing in the conservation world, or is it like super niche, or is it popular? Like where where is it? It's it's definitely growing. So some countries, it's like mainstream. They've been using dogs almost for centuries. Like New Zealand, for example, they were using dogs in like eighteen ninety to like find kiwi. Like, this is not a new thing for them at all. Um, in, Amer- in America, they've been using dogs for a lot of Even in, actually, in the UK, we were using dogs to help count rice, um, setting and pointing dogs for a long time. It's just that they weren't, you know, we didn't really class them as conservation detection dogs who weren't trained in that kind of detection element. But 
in the past 10 years, I think it has grown massively here and it is continuing to grow. And the number of projects now that are coming to us and asking, is a dog useful? It has grown absolutely massively. Yeah. Yeah. Like now when you said it, it's like, it's, it's probably pretty close to like a hunting dog, like mm-hmm. a pointers and, and. Yeah. So we, we do, um, we do train some aspects quite similar to like gun dog work. So we use quartering. We use like how they move through the landscape in a similar way to give them the best chance to actually catch the odor. The only difference, it's almost between a mixture between a gun dog and like an explosives detection dog. So what happens when they actually find the odor is different. So, you know, we have that kind of indication built in. And then our, we really work hard on like sniffing intensity because some of our, some of the things we're looking for is either like maybe underwater or underground, maybe buried. So we need that like sniffing intensity increase, which would be the same as explosives detection dogs. Um, while with gun dogs, you know, it's not as important because they're looking for kind of like fresh carcasses, you know, fresh birds, so um, which are quite smelly. So yeah, it's kind of a nice mixture between the two. The most difficult aspects of both both mm, jobs. Oh yeah, <laughs> these, these are commando dogs. <laughs> Listen, one last thing before I uh, ask you about some some more specific things related to projects in your in your brochure. Uh, I still have it. Your your brochure with a, with a dog on it. Your you have an entire section dedicated to training and welfare of a dogs. Yeah. Could you could you please elaborate on on this aspect and and whether yeah why you decided why it's so important to even decided to put it on your so brochure? it's one of the things we get asked most about if we're at an event or we're starting a new project or bringing in a new client they always go so how are the dogs trained and we're like oh we use you know, positive reinforcement, you know, science-based techniques. So they're like, okay, okay. And I'm like, okay. And I think it's because they want to be associated with a group that is taking training and welfare standards really as a forefront of their work. You know, um, they don't want to be caught out with um, us maybe having an e-collar on the dog and that being seen as somehow you know anti-welfare or anything like that there um and it's it is really important for us to show our welfare standards as well and um, so patrice who's the other handler um she actually has a master's in animal behavior and welfare um so that that is her her baby so if there's like new techniques that come up that to try for training or there's new welfare standards brought in like some type of enrichment or something we can give to the dogs then we do um also all our dogs are registered with a physiotherapist better than me they get treated you know it's ridiculous um one of our dogs Rufus our eldest he goes to hydrotherapy near um every two weeks um so like we we take the welfare of the dogs very seriously we also um I like it that the handlers that work in with with us the dogs belong to them so there are pets they're also family pets um, Zeba was actually sleeping on the sofa before she decided to come climb on me. Um, they all sleep in the house. You know, these are just questions we get asked all the time. And it's something that we are promoting as well, that um, some of the things that need to be thought about whenever people are bringing in dog teams. Like, for example, we've got a fully kitted out van with air conditioning, a fan on the roof. It's got a thermometer, a camera, a uh, 
you know, all these like temperature sensors within this van. And it's that's whenever we're working during the summer. Like if the van isn't there, then the dogs don't go out. You know, it's things like that are really, really important to us. So we like to show that to people. And it makes people think as well, oh, if I'm bringing in a dog team, I probably should ask, you know, what their welfare standards are, what kind of training they do with them. I like my dogs to work in a team with me. Like we're a team together out in in these massive areas working together to try and find the things we're trying to find. And for detection especially, like they could be out for long periods of time working, so they have to enjoy it. So if they're if they have any kind of like negative feeling towards searching, then it just doesn't work. So that's why, um, yeah, we put in our training. That was my thinking. Like if you're if you were training dog in a way that is, you know, harmful or not pleasant for the dog, you wouldn't be able to do the job. I mean, it's it's not like you're training for a dog fight when you can, you know, it's it's just so I'm kind of like I must admit I'm a little surprised that you're uh, that you're getting these questions. But then again, on the other hand, it's probably good that that this uh, people are conscious of those things and asking those questions. Are you using these GPS tracking collars on the dogs? Yeah. Did you? Oh, I love them so much. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm a bit. So I only got my first one this year, and oh, I'm addicted to. It. I love making maps. I used to be a big GIS person back in the day and previous previous roles so making maps of where we've searched and what we find brilliant oh i love the gps callers yeah i saw i saw those like a number of years ago my friend took me to see the the hunting pack it was like a foot pack um and it, you know it was the kind of like things that they were feeding dog before the hunt so they didn't really want it those dogs to actually find anything it was more and it was just absolutely amazing to see those dogs running the mountains, jumping fences. It was like, wow. And the houseman has this GPS unit with the arrows. And so like, yeah, yeah. so I have like a one dog in a pack with a collar and it's over there. And so he could see the movement of the dogs. It's like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, like a tech geek in me was like, wow, this is cool. Oh, they're so cool. They're so cool. And then like, we can like send like maps to our clients showing like, look where we searched. Look at all the areas we covered. And like, so it also kind of proves that we were there as well. Cause you know, they're usually we're just out by ourselves running around like mountains and mountainsides. So it's like, look, we searched all the area that you needed us to search. Lovely map. <laughs> On the training prompts, probably last question, but maybe some listeners can benefit from that. If people have a dog, and they become because I've, I'm I'm finding that people only start to get a bit aware of, of the disturbances and so on. You know, I I found that you sometimes see on social media the video of the dog chasing birds on the on the beach, right? It's like oh these bastards, and these are like well-meaning people. They just don't know. 100%. They just don't know. It's just their dog, their birds. Birds fly away. Like what's a big deal? They don't know. So for people who are just becoming aware of all those things, what advice would you give uh, in terms of training their dog? And, you know, is it like, do you even have a device for them to tr like how to train the dog and how to behave? Or is it advice, get a professional trainer and get the dog to professional trainer? Well, there's never any harm in bringing a professional in and don't ever feel that you're failing in any way bringing a professional in. Um, 
I say the best advice to give someone if they're struggling with recall is to find out what reinforces their dog, what does their dog live for, and how to make them interesting. A lot of the time you see people like walking and they're the most boring. Their dog's running about having the best time finding things in the environment to like interact with because their person is probably on their phone or just walking along and just not like not in the moment with the dog. Like one of my um, spaniels, if I let him, like he would go and find his own job to do when he's not searching. If I was out on a walk, he would go find his own job to do. But I manage him like he I become if I take him out on a walk, I take him off lead. I am the most interesting person like I can possibly be to him. So I have toys. I am squealing sometimes to get his attention like. I'll have fantastic like uh, treats in my pocket that I know are really, really high level reinforcing to him. Um, and if I can't do that, if I can't, if I am not in the mood to be a crazy person out on a walk, then he is not let off lead, or he is put onto a long line, or he is managed in some way. Um, so yeah, there's. I think people expect their dogs to be perfect straight away as well. Just let them off, let them roam, see what happens. But and they don't put the they don't realize how much work can go into a recall, um, or into like getting that like check-ins from their dog, and it is a lot of work. So if you do need a professional trainer to help you with it, hundred percent go down that route. Yeah, I think it's a very very important thing that people are just not paying attention, which is like an epidemic of people not paying attention because they're on their phone, like you said. Tell me, what was the strangest thing? Is, is that happened? Like your dog found like a strange thing? You were looking for one thing and they they found something unexpected. Was there anything? Because I'm sure it, it happens, <laughs> right? You're looking for, for red squirrels and it finds, I don't know, woodpecker or something. Well, so the dogs, because they're only really trained to find the odor that they're trained on, they don't usually pick up on things they're not meant to find. I have had incidents where they found like um, just like one wing of a bat or like the toes of a bat or like like the skull and a bit of beak of a bird, you know, like really like... Right? Almost there, almost bird, There's almost a full bird. Yeah, it's like, what happened? Uh, you know, um, uh, yeah, we've had some weird things like that or we've had like um one of my friends actually he had his dog out and he found a buried bat but it was like a good like that amount underground he had the lift like this whole thing a peak to find it so they shock you sometimes on, on what they can actually find um yeah weird like bits of body like we've had intestines just intestines like no other bit of the of the bird really strange um yeah something yeah. Ate, something ate that bird i presume <laughs> Yeah, but you you know when you think about it, it just detects this the odor. So the part of bird that has the same odor as the whole bird. It's like, hey, like <laughs> you asked me to find this. Yeah, <laughs> well, like we do, um, we do put in effort to, to make sure that they are finding body bits. But whenever you're out and you're search, you've been searching, you've been out on site for four hours, say, and the dog searching like for forty minutes. And at the end of these forty minutes, it's coming across these little tiny bits and like this really thick vegetation you're just like how did you do that like how is it seeing it that's so good 
so yeah, it's uh, the shock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. Like a like a dog's sense of smell is amazing. You know, I was I was looking. What breeds of I actually like what breeds of bir- uh, b- not birds, dogs. <laughs> what breeds of dogs are the best for this work? Um, spaniels, pointers. I like spaniels. I'm a spaniel person, so I am very biased <laughs> towards spaniels. I do have the pointer as well, but she's kind Springers of Springers or cocker spaniels. I like Springers. I like the slightly bigger size. Um, and I think I feel like cockers can sometimes be a bit needy, <laughs> like a bit too needy, a bit too clingy. Um, so I do prefer Springers. And also my husband likes Springers. So generally, if I bring a Springer home, he doesn't throw it out. You know, he's not like, oh, for goodness sake, <laughs> what has she done? She's brought another one. So usually I can get away with bringing more Springers home than other species or other breeds. Um, really, I like gun dogs for this work, but... If a dog has the motivation to do it, then brilliant. I don't really care what breed it is. I just think you're playing the genetics lottery, you know, and gum dogs kind of have a lot of the stuff built in already in their genetics. Like we've been breeding them for how, how many years to work with us, to search in thick vegetation, to find birds, you know? So we kind of already have it built in there. So it makes things yeah. quicker. Would it be possible to train German Shepherd for that? Oh yeah, one of my one of my best friends has a German Shepherd Mally cross that she's that she was actually the one who did um, red squirrel detection back in the day, and we got chatting then. And her dog is her dog's amazing. Like I think, like German Shepherd is this type of breed that you can train it to do anything. It might be not the best, but they will do it. Oh yeah, they they want to do it for you as well, which is nice. You know, it's like whatever you want um but yeah no he's he's fantastic and he has a fantastic nose on him as well um he's a bit he would be slower than the spaniels the spaniel spaniels generally cover a lot more ground than him but he doesn't need to cover ground fast because the bit that he's covered is done perfectly you know that kind of way (laughs) it's because it's bigger so it moves slower it takes more energy to move around they're more methodical than the spaniels Uh, would be yeah okay gotcha gotcha (laughs) Listen, the question I have, like more specific, you're you're say that some of the jobs that you were doing was detection of of birds and bat carcasses around the wind turbines. That's probably you know subject for entire another episode of the podcast. But it just interests me. Like, how bad is it? Is it is it bad? Is it and and who is it when you're doing this job? Are they owners of the site? Uh, want you to do this or whether it's like a conservation organization who wants to you know point out how bad is it <laughs> get you in there no we're usually brought in by the planning organization so the, the council it depends where we are of course um and usually it's for the ecological monitoring of the site so post we do the post-construction monitoring and that's usually for their planning applications um so it's written in that they have to have their turbine surveyed for so long after the turbine has gone up to see how it's affecting um, the populations in those areas of bats and birds. Um, usually all the results that we find, all the things that we find go to um, NIEA or NPWS and then the ecologist that we're working with will then advise on type of mitigation. So for example, I was working on a site um, in Northern Ireland and we, in our first year, we found six bats on the site. The next year, they brought in that they brought in mitigation. Uh, dead, of course, yeah. 
and um, brought in mitigation and we didn't find bats once that mitigation had been brought in. And that, that probably was feathering or um, turning the turbine off at certain um, wind speeds and things like that. So um, work is just the they have to collect the data correctly to actually work out what effect the turbine is having. It's one of my, um, a song I talk about a lot whenever I'm out at events and things is that the comparison of using dogs to search for carcasses compared to human human searching for carcasses um, and how big a difference there can be in the data collected um, from that. So um, there was a fantastic study done, I think it was 2020, where they compared human searchers to dog searches and they found that the dogs were finding 80% of the carcasses put out and humans were only finding around 20%. Yeah, um, yeah it's big. And the the carcasses that the humans were finding were the majority of the large carcasses, so the bigger birds, probably the raptors, gulls, things like that, whilst the dogs were finding all these little tiny bats that we have, more of the passerine species and things like that. So it, yeah, it makes a difference having the dogs there to give us a hand. So those dogs then are, are trained just to detect anything, I presume, not a specific scent, but just like anything. Yeah, so our dogs are trained to find... Every bat species, um, trying to think, have they been put on everyone in Ireland? Most of the bat species in Ireland, they've now been trained on. Um, and a majority of the bird species as well. So we train them on different gulls, seabirds, um, make sure we get corvids in, make sure we get raptors in, and then some passerine species as well to make sure that they're picking up on a range of birds, not just, you know, the big smelly ones. So yeah, a range of different species of birds and bats. We do train them not to show us like rodent um, carcasses because we use rodent carcasses for some of the other trials we do on the site um, to see how much predation there is on the site. So we're almost inflating the amount of dead things that there are on the wind farm sometimes. So we're like dogs, just ignore the rodent stuff and just show us the, the bat stuff. How maybe. does the dog know what, what it's supposed to detect on any given site? So the dog is trained on, you know, like you said, gulls and raptors and all the other birds. It's like you coming in. It's like, how did you, how did you tell the dog what it's supposed to indicate? So um, as soon as you imprint a dog on an odor, it is looking for all the odors that it is imprinted on every single time it goes out to search. So you have to be really careful on what you imprint your dog on. So, for example, back in the day when we did the Manx Shearwater surveys, we made sure that we picked a dog that hadn't um, previously been used for rodent detection, for example, because we would also be searching those islands for rats um, as, a, as an invasive species on those islands. So we didn't want Rufus to go, oh, by the way, there's a Manx water here, but there's a rat over here. He was only showing us the Manx water at that time. Um, so you have to be careful you don't overlap whatever odors that you kind of have your dog on. So you so you might end up in a situation that you have, you know, 10 dogs, but only five or three are suitable for any particular job. Yeah. Ah, I presume that takes some some level of planning of what you're going to train the dog on. And so 100%. On. Oh, that's very interesting. Listen, when you're doing a survey on the wind turbine, do you... Are you worried or maybe you already come across this, like some, you know, like a pressure on like, hey, Caroline, but you know, like... Wink, wink. Don't don't find too many things. 
So sometimes we get that joke from the ecologists. They're like, oh, you're making me have, have more paperwork because you're finding things. Um, but I think it's almost a good thing that we're subcontracted in. So we're, it's no, there's no responsibility on me to do anything. If I find a hundred bats under a turbine, I get to go to the ecologist who works for someone else and go, right, there's the data. It is now your responsibility to sort out the mitigation there. It is, it is nothing to do with me. I am completely almost detached from the whole system. And it means that I'm not biased. I'm not, there's no, there's no benefit to me to find more or find less. I am just out there doing my searches. Um, we find this, I do a lot of um, bed bug work now with like pest control companies. And again, I'm completely- Bed bugs. Yeah. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a random sideline that we started doing, but um, it, we're completely- detached from the process as well we only find or we don't find so and then we tell the pest control company and they then are the ones that go oh excellent that's more money for us you know <laughs> whilst i just get paid to do my searches no matter how long or how short it takes them would you would you consider at any point going you know expanding that to do like explosives and drugs and other things i'll be honest i think we're going to be too busy with conservation the conservation is a very specialist detection world and I think I was incredibly naive when I got into it and I thought this would be great and it can't be that hard um, but actually like we're constantly fi fixing the dogs they're constantly improving them or like oh you're like one day you're like oh I think I'll work on that a little bit more this a little bit more and it, it takes all your time even just a small number of odors were already on so I think we'll, we'll stick with conservation and get that, get that perfect and, you know, give like a really good quality service in that rather than going down the line of explosives and narcotics. You see, the, the bed bug stuff is almost very similar to conservation because you are looking for a live species. So it, 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 it fits in well with the conservation aspect, um, even though it's pest control. Well, like, yeah, explosives and narcotics are a whole other field on their own. And it'll get extra headache when you go searching for birds and the dog finds a bag of cocaine. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, like, mm -hmm. who, who, who do you tell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What am I going to do with this now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who's going to come searching for that? Listen, <laughs> uh, last question. Did you ever have a situation where you were working with the dogs on the, you know, a site and you had some well-meaning members of public kind of saying like, oh, take up those dogs. They're just, you know, doing bad stuff. We actually, we had, um, so we usually get the ecologist, we had this last week, we usually get the ecologist to warn the farmers that were coming on with dogs. And I think this farmer, he must have been told like months and months ago that we were coming, but it must have left his mind. So he caught us last week doing a, doing a search and he had sheep in one field and he drove up and was like, oh, who are you? You know, this is under a turbine. So he's turbine on his land. And he's like, and who are you? And we were like, oh, we're, you know, such and such. We're subcontracted by such and such for such and such. And he's like, right. That's, that's grand, girls. That's grand. But um, could you not bring the dogs with you in future? And I was like, oh, no, the dogs are like the people. They're, they're the ones doing the survey. Like, we cannot like do this without them. Like, they're the important bit. <laughs> he was like, oh, right, okay. That makes more sense. <laughs> you just thought we were just rolling about the fields with dogs randomly. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, oh, bless them. <laughs> gotcha. 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 That's, a, that's, a, that's a funny part yeah. of it. <laughs> 
Oh, Caroline, is there anything else that uh, that uh, I haven't asked you about and you think it's it's worth mentioning? I always say, like, I'm glad I went the route I did to get into this. I got, like, expertise in detection dog people to come and help me. It is trickier than you think. And a lot of people, I think, go down this route and think, right, I'll train my dogs to do some conservation projects. And then they get stuck at some point or something, something unfortunate happens. And I always say that if you're getting into this industry, get yourself a mentor or like someone with expertise. And that, that can be me. There's a couple of other people around the UK and Ireland that have the expertise. Go and talk to them first and see if it's something that you actually want to do because it's a shock to people. Like I do this full time now. And the reason I do this full time now is that it is a full time job. So like even just the training of the dogs is a full-time job. So definitely go find yourself an expert, talk to them fully about what your dreams and ambitions are and just have a bit of a reality check first before, um, yeah, going down this slide. Caroline, you're doing fantastic work. I wish you all the best. Uh, I wish your business to grow. And folks, if you're interested, cddni.com. Go in there, and uh, you know I'm sure that you can, you can, uh, we can connect you with some people who might, you know, give you more work. Thank you very much, Caroline. Well, thanks very much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave me five star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcast. This is great help for me and for the podcast. And while you're already there, don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. The link is in the description of the show. 